everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine, whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this, me, doing pretty good. I was having a little bit of difficulty deciding what I was going to talk about in this intro, so took Finley for a walk, and as I was walking him, a pine cone almost landed on my head. And that's when it occurred to me. The concept of gravity! But it turns out somebody already thought of that. But the pine cone itself got me thinking. So, you know how we have a bunch of idioms that are still in relatively common usage in the English language that are essentially slurs left over from the Anglo-Dutch War of the 17th century? Of course you do. That's why you'll still sometimes hear things like alcohol being called Dutch courage or someone who gives unwanted advice being a Dutch uncle, or how if you go out to eat, splitting the bill is called a Dutch treat, because that's a Dutch person's idea of what treating someone is, paying for themselves. Or how when you fart under the sheets, that's called a Dutch oven, because that's how Dutch people think you cook food. Which, if that is how Dutch people cook food, fuck it, sign me up, because Abel skivers are delicious, and two, I was gonna do that anyway. I mean, fart under the sheets, not necessarily try to cook food that way. Although, who knows? Waste not, want not. Anyway, all that is to say, got me thinking about pine cones, which made me wonder, in what century was England at war with pine trees? Because those are not cones. And is that the idea behind calling them that? This is what pine trees think cones look like. Stupid idiot trees. And pine tar? Try paving a road with that and you're shit out of luck. That's just good for cheating at baseball. So if any of you history buffs out there know at what point England went to war with fir trees, let me know, because I'm kind of curious. And if there are any bear experts out there, let me know if calling a bear a fir tree would piss them off, because I think it's kind of funny because they're tall like trees and also furry. But if it would piss them off, I won't call them that because bears are tall like trees, but furry. And that's kind of scary. Well, that digression was, if possible, sillier than usual. Let's see if it sets the tone for the rest of the show. Spoiler alert, it does! Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. We're gonna do things a little differently with the synopsis rhymes today, because I got a pair of them from a pair of brothers, and I don't want to contribute to any potential sibling rivalry. First one is submitted by Lucas Bickford. The Defenders have a lot of enemies, real name Sergei, Scorpio, and even LMDs. But when it's all said and done, it's Jack Norris who takes the prize for the worst in this synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Lucas. And then we have Graham Bickford, who sent in, The Hulk will always come to fight. Nighthawk has the strength of two strong men at night. Jack Norris we will never miss. This is Hub's new synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Graham. Now, I'm not sure how old Lucas is, but Graham let me know that he is 11 years old. So, first of all, great rhymes, kids. Second of all, thanks for listening. Third of all, why are you listening? This show is not recommended to those with impressionable young minds. Sure, you might learn useful things like about the ancient pinecone wars, but you also might learn things like, maybe I should try to cook food with my farts under sheets. And that's not a good idea. You are never going to be able to cook Abel Skivers evenly that way. 
So if you're a kid who's listening to this, don't try to cook food with your farts and stop listening. Go to bed. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Go to bed. Okay, just us purported grown-ups now? Cool. Fuck. Defenders, number 56, February 1978. Val's New York Adventure. Written by David Anthony Kraft. Drotted by Carmen Infantino. Inkted by Klaus Janssen. Lettered by Peter Iroh. Colored by David Anthony Kraft. And edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. Namor the Submariner. Hellcat. Nighthawk. And Bruce Banner. Previously in the Defenders. After an initially thwarted attempt, Valkyrie managed to successfully navigate the college enrollment process and sign up for classes at Empire State University. The Asgardian undergrad's first day as a student was an eventful one. After a contentious encounter with a violently volatile vigilante appropriately named Lunatic, Val attempted to unwind by watching some student films with some new friends, a pair of eccentric film students named Dollar Bill and Ledge. Dollar Bill's less-than-enthralling autobiographical opus had a soporific effect on the Scandinavian superhero. After she awoke from her cinematically-induced slumber, Ledge offered to walk Val to the subway. The strangely named cinephile was about to ask Val on a date, but his clumsy romantic overture was interrupted by the arrival of another of Val's admirers, the aforementioned lunatic, Lunatic. This new psychopathic suitor presented Valkyrie with a token of his affection in the form of a pile of freshly murdered drug dealers. Whatever happened to flowers? Our heartbreaking heroine was less than impressed with this homicidal offering and drew her magic sword intent on aggressively apprehending her amoral admirer. While their Aesir ally was dealing with an asshole's unwanted advances, the rest of our titular non-team had troubles of their own. Our heroes had accompanied Namor on an undersea adventure to locate the source of some mysterious radiation that had been poisoning Atlantis. This subaquatic sojourn led them to the Soviet Union, where they found that a rogue Russian reprobate named Sergei had been performing some unsanctioned nuclear experiments. The sinister Soviet scientist had kidnapped former Defender the Red Guardian, a.k.a. Dr. Tanya Belinsky, used mind control on her, and commanded her to be his girlfriend. What a creep! Sergei had decided that he ought to adopt a nom de guerre, so he began referring to himself by the clever codename, Codename Sergei. What a douche! Codename Douche subjected himself and his non-consensual companion to a series of atomic procedures that culminated with the two of them standing at the epicenter of a nuclear explosion. Rather than incinerating the stupidly pseudonymed supervillain and his mind-controlled counterpart, the detonation instead gave them both nearly unfathomable atomic powers. The defenders confronted the plutonium-enriched pair but were sorely outmatched. Codename Fuckface and a still cerebrally subjugated Red Guardian smacked the shit out of Nighthawk and Namor before using their nuclear nonsense powers to turn the Hulk back into mild-mannered Bruce Banner for the first time in like 35 issues. Codename Dipshit prepared to deliver a death blow to the defeated defenders, but at the last minute, Hellcat managed to get through to the Red Guardian and compelled the Communist Crusader to cast aside her captor's coercive commands. Once free from the fetters of her Slavic Svengali's mind control, the sartorially scarlet Soviet swashbuckler turned on her telepathic tyrant and told him to fuck off. Much to everyone's surprise, after reacting to this admonishment with a combination of bewilderment and hurt feelings, codename Mopey Piece of Shit took Tanya's advice and fucked off. Hooray! As our heroes celebrated their victory, a dehulkified Bruce Banner turned to his companions and said, You guys do all realize that you're about to die from exposure to nuclear radiation, right? 
Gadzooks! Is this the end of our dynamic defenders? Will Valkyrie encounter any strangers who aren't in love with her? And how will the Red Guardian celebrate her newfound freedom? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... nope? Well, the old-timey prospector who accidentally runs Val over with his taxi doesn't seem that impressed with her. And by allowing herself to be sealed in a radiation-proof chamber. Bummer. Both Ledge and Lunatic are surprised that when Val unsheathed her previously invisible magic sword, she instantly changed outfits into her superhero duds. I guess they're probably also pretty surprised that she had a magic sword in the first place, although maybe not. I can see where after talking to Val for a few minutes you might be like, yeah, this lady definitely has a magic sword. Lunatic quickly regains what passes for his composure and goes back to trying to hit on Val with a random string of song lyrics and pop culture references like he's Ethan Hawke's character from Reality Bites. This approach proves fruitless for a couple of reasons. One, Val is relatively new to Earth and is unfamiliar with all the references, and B, she can tell that much like Ethan Hawke's character in Reality Bites, Lunatic is an asshole. When rebuffed, the asshole in question changes tactics and tries to literally hit on Val with that giant metal pole he carries around. Typical. The sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger dodges her amorous assailant's attacks as easily as she did his pickup lines. She prepares to respond in kind when Ledge inserts himself between the pair and is like, Hey, calm down, guys. There's no need to fight. Let's talk this out. The captions make it a little unclear as to whether the flummoxed film fanatic is A. actually trying to negotiate a truce, or 2. is attempting to use some form of ruse and intends to attack Lunatic himself out of some misplaced sense of chivalry. Either way, bad job, Ledge. The time for negotiation was over once Lunatic murdered those drug dealers, and Valkyrie is much better equipped to handle a violent encounter than you are. As if to illustrate this point, Lunatic smashes the surprised student in the head with his metal stick and then bashes him in the tummy. Ouch. Enraged, Valkyrie renews the attack on her frenetic foe. The apparently unhinged devotee of pop culture parries her blows, quotes the Rolling Stones and Alice in Wonderland at her, and flees into the streets of New York. After pausing briefly to wonder what the fuck the appropriately named nincompoop is talking about, Val gives chase. Meanwhile, in Russia... The rest of the defenders are busy puking and lying down. You know, on account of the radiation poisoning. The only ones who seem unaffected are Bruce Banner and the Red Guardian, which I guess makes sense, seeing as how each of them got their superpowers by having nuclear bombs explode at them. Bruce is probably about to give Tanya the Welcome to the club! We meet on Tuesdays! Try to avoid Hyperion, that guy's a creep! speech but he doesn't get the chance because the Red Army shows up and tells them in Russian that they have been very naughty and are all under arrest. Namor doesn't understand Russian, but he takes umbrage at the officer's tone. He punches the dude in the face because, radiation poisoning or not, he's still Namor. Hooray! Then he collapses on account of the whole radiation poisoning thing. At this point, Bruce pops up and is like, Uh, hey, you guys, I, I speak Russian. Uh, ya govoryu na ruskum? Uh, these guys are all dying of nuclearness, but good news, I'm the famous nuclear scientist Bruce Banner, and I think I can fix them if you just put me, an undocumented American with an extensive criminal record, in charge of your nearest high-tech nuclear facility. The army guys are like, hmm, okie dokie, and off they go. Huh, I didn't see that one coming. 
When they get to the science building, the American ambassador to Russia shows up and yells at his fellow countrymen for being such fuck-ups, and the Russian guards insist that Tanya seal herself in an isolated radiation-proof chamber, but other than that, things seem to go pretty well. The Russian scientists are all really impressed at how smart and good at science Bruce is. For a while, Namor isn't doing so hot, but then... Banner remembers that Namor is part fish, and because he is a scientist, he knows that fish like water. Told you he was good at science. Once they pop the avenging scion of Atlantis in a bathtub, his vital signs start improving. Unfortunately, now Patsy isn't looking so great. For a moment, it seems like maybe Bruce is going to dunk her in a saucer of milk, but no, he instead pops on a radiation suit and points some weird science doohickey at Patsy and her non-teammates. Throughout this procedure, Bruce Banner is trying desperately to remain calm, because, well, it is important that he continue sciencing just as hard as he can science, he also has to stay chill. If the neurotic nuclear physicist gets too worked up, he's going to hulk out, and international diplomacy and high-tech science gizmos aren't exactly the Hulk's areas of expertise. Back in New York, Val continues to chase Lunatic all over the city, and swat at him with the flat of her magic sword. As the mercurial miscreant flees Valkyrie's wrath, he callously endangers bystanders, at one point going so far as to pick up a baby and throw it at her. So, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that Lunatic is a bad guy. After returning the baby to its mother, Val catches up with her infant-endangering adversary and starts wailing on the wily weirdo. Unfortunately, the agile asshole proves to be as cunning as he is callous. He sucker punches Val and steals her sword. So Val picks up Lunatic's discarded steel pole, and the two resume their titanic tussle. During the course of the battle, they end up swapping back to their original weapons. Then a taxi runs over Val, which really pisses her off. Lunatic takes advantage of this distraction and escapes into the crowd. Back in the USSR, Kyle, Patsy, and Namor are finding out how lucky they are, as they awake from their successful deradioactive nissification surgery? to find out that they are all better. Hooray! Once it is clear that his patients have recovered, Banner collapses in exhaustion. The American ambassador shows back up and tells the rest of the heroes that while they shouldn't have invaded Russia the way they did, as long as they don't tell anyone that someone in Russia was doing unsanctioned atomic tests, they won't get in any trouble and can go home. Oh, except for the Red Guardian, who has to stay sealed in her tube. I wouldn't worry about Tanya. She'll be fine. I'm sure the Soviets will have top men looking at her. Top men. Namor heads back to Atlantis, and Bruce Banner, Nighthawk, and Hellcat are put on a plane to New York. Speaking of the Big Apple, Valkyrie is still pursuing an elusive lunatic all around the city. The chaotic criminal KOs a blind bystander, steals his cane and dark glasses, and sneaks up behind Val and sucker punches her. What an asshole! This craven and depraved act enrages the Asgardian undergrad. She follows Lunatic into a nearby subway station, tackles him, and starts punching the fuck out of his head. Hooray! Looks like Val's about to punch him to death, when she regains her composure and decides that she can't sink to her adversary's level. Aw. Are you sure you can't sink to his level? Maybe just this once? No? Fine. Lunatic senses Val's momentary hesitation. He plants a non-consensual kiss on the astonished Azir and leaps in front of a train. At first, Val thinks that the lascivious lawbreaker has just suicided, but no such luck. Lunatic somehow manages to cling to the side of the moving train. 
He tauntingly quotes a cartoon at a fuming Valkyrie as he speeds away. Damn it! Maybe Val could sublimate her anger by tracking down Ethan Hawke's character from Reality Bites and punching him. Nah, it's 1978, so that character's still a little kid. Ooh, maybe he's the baby that got thrown at Val, and the idea of continually making annoying pop culture references got imprinted on him from the traumatic experience he suffered at the hands of Lunatic. Wait a minute. Is that what happened to me? Well, shit. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. All right. I'm sure the novelty will wear off, but thus far, unemployment agrees with me. Yeah? Yeah, it's not bad. My plan is to spend a lot more time in the next little bit working on the show and to try to then maybe pick up some part-time work but fit that around my schedule for making stuff instead of the other way around. But Amazon has all of Perry Mason on it streaming right now. So, give I mean, it's kind of out of my hands. Give yourself some time. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Yeah, take a gap time. However yeah. long it takes Perry Mason to get watched, <laughs> gap time. I... Spent a semester off of college, just, you know, backpacking around Perry Mason. <laughs> you want to talk about this comic book? Sure. What'd you think of this comic book? I enjoyed it. Sounds somewhat qualified. Yeah, I don't really know what the qualification is. I, I felt like it was a lot of pages for what happened, I guess. A very significant portion of the comic book is dedicated to one big fight scene between Val and Lunatic that goes on for kind of a while and there isn't any real conclusion to it. It's also strange because I'm used to seeing heroes have these crazy powers that change all the time and sometimes they're great, sometimes they're not great, but they can fix everything. I'm not used to seeing the bad guys have that almost kind of without explanation. Like, I don't understand what made Lunatic so totally badass that he thwarted Val at nearly every turn. It's weird. Lunatic is a kind of interesting character. I don't like him, but he seems more like a cartoon than we're used to seeing in our villains. He's almost like a mix between, like, the Joker and Woody Woodpecker, kinda. Mm. He's like this unhinged villain who is just gleeful in his stuff that he's doing, but he's com he's wisecracking the whole time, and... Is super frenetic and just kind of doesn't have any idea of the consequences of his actions or care about them at all. It's a very different kind of villain than we're used to seeing, and I found him kind of interesting. The fact, too, that he doesn't necessarily have an agenda of, I'm going to take over the city or steal all the money yeah. or whatever. He's, He's just like, nope, just I'm just going to run around and cause havoc. Pure agent of chaos, but with some of the trappings of almost being a parody of heroes. Because he is a vigilante. And we find out that those drug dealers that he beat up the last issue, I guess he killed them. I didn't get that from the last issue, but it's made very explicit here that, no, he, he just murdered those guys. Mm -hmm. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, no, no regard really for the life or health of other people. Of anyone, yeah. And it, it goes beyond the, like, 
Punisher-style vigilante justice thing. Because during his fight with Val, he literally throws a baby at her. Mm-hmm. And, like, just starts throwing innocent bystanders at her and just doesn't have any compunction about injuring or potentially killing any bystanders. Yeah. Which is weird to see. All of that, like I said, makes him kind of an an interesting character. And he could be in some ways a really good foil for Val because she's very disciplined and also is completely unfamiliar with any American pop culture of the time. And Lunatic is a constant barrage of pop culture references. He speaks mostly in song lyrics or TV commercials or just snippets of dialogue from movies and catchphrases. And it's really, really disconcerting. But it's also really funny to have Val playing the ultimate straight man to it. And really, it's clever writing in that she doesn't understand that what he is saying is quotations from other things. And so she is responding to them like a total straight man style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just sounds like total nonsense to her. Yeah, which is kind of fun and must be honestly really frustrating for uh, Vigilante, too. But she she realizes that there's some references in there because she says something to the effect of if only, you know, Hellcat were here, she could help me figure out what was going on. It may just be that Hellcat also sometimes references things from pop culture and Val has no idea what she's talking about. She's she's just like, (laughs) yeah. I wonder if she responds to that the way she does to Lunatic. We do not have cheese and crackers available right now, but perhaps I could go to the pantry. Like, no, it's an exclamation. He says, why don't you come up and see me sometime? And she says, I will see you, lunatic, behind bars. But so like she's doing the quips, but she doesn't get that they're pop culture references. And I think that's great. And I think that's a great way to respond to people making pop culture references at you. And it makes me really like Val better. And... As I said, think that Lunatic could be a pretty decent foil for her. Definitely could have done without the him grabbing her and kissing her at the end. Like, it's just becoming more and more of a thing that hero or villain, that's how everybody responds to Val, is to just grab her and kiss her without her consent, which is bullshit. I mean, it's more in keeping with having a supervillain do something shitty than it is to have a character that we're supposed to like do something shitty like that, but I could still do without it. Yeah, there's a another thing too that I liked about the way that Val responded to his dialogue where she gets almost immediately very annoyed at this assumed intimacy that he has with her. Like he's joking around like they're close yeah. in some way. And she's just like, hey, fucking stop that. Yeah. You're a weirdo and we don't know each other. Yep, this is bullshit. Stop it. Yeah, she's great. There's times I would like to talk to people like that i would more like to have her eventual responses to lunatic shut up shut (laughs) up shut up yeah yeah (laughs) that's more the one that i say inside my head Mm -hmm. that was very very satisfying or you could just like have your notebook and like uh you told me that one time at work, you just wrote down blowhard. <laughs> yeah, there was a meeting that I was sitting in where I was taking notes, and there was this one guy who was just bloviating, and so for the entirety of my meeting, I had a whole page where I was just, like, nodding, and as he was talking, would be like, oh, okay, I'll write that down. But what I kept writing down was, what a fucking jackass. Mm. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. 
when I saw that the meeting was over, I flipped over to the top page where I'd taken some actual notes, but it was pretty satisfying to just have the secret notes mm -hmm. that was just me making fun of a guy. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, mentally we can do that, I guess. Yeah. I think it would be better to just yell shut up three times and punch him. Mm -hmm. Maybe next time. That also, though, was confusing to me because it really does appear the tide has turned. Val is really getting the better of this jackass. And she's punching him real good. He's down. Yeah. And every time she punches him, he's responding with some sort of a quip. And it was very confusing to me. I was like, did she just lose her ability to knock people senseless? Well, or? that's the other way in which he resembles a cartoon character. In which he is obviously getting flattened by that. But, like, there's almost a disconnect between the art and the dialogue. Because in that, you see his head is snapping back. And it's just, like, this panel where it's like, yes, finally! But he throws in a wisecrack as he's getting punched. Like, yeah, keep punching me. Yeah. And it's really just no-selling it. Also, I don't think getting punched works that way like you'd have to wait until after you got punched real hard to mumble something snide yeah you'd one would imagine one would think i mean we could do some tests i'd rather not no <laughs> um. no i'm sure there's better scientific brains than ours better scientific brains than ours a we no longer possess motorcycle helmets nor gloves <laughs> That was bad science that we did. B. It was pretty fun, Motorcycle though. gloves are not good for protecting your knuckles from motorcycle helmets. So, there was a time when Corey and I maybe were under the influence of certain alcoholic beverages, perhaps. Yeah. And I had two motorcycle helmets. And so we put them on and punched each other in the head. Pretty harsh. Yeah. And... We, it turns out, still hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that so, guy should not have been cracking wise after a couple good exactly. punches. But see, that was some good empirical science that we practiced, so I would still take issue with the idea that there are better scientific minds than ours out there, Corey. Pretty good. Okay. We had the proper equipment, we took the proper precautions, we had a control group. Oh, we didn't have a control group. Nope. We, we just didn't... needed to invite somebody over and be like, hey, could you come in here for a minute? <laughs> Next time. Another thing that struck me about Val's interaction with Lunatic is at one point they switch weapons. Uh -huh. And it struck me how much better off she would be with his weapon than she is, she is with hers. And to an extent, vice versa. Because he has no problem with lethality. And she does. And she, I think, even threatens him at one point, or you'll taste the flat of my enchanted sword. That is a complicated threat. And if you just had, like, a big steel Q-tip, like Lunatic has, just bash people. It seems like if what you're going for is not slicing people, then you have to do a lot more work to make a sword a non-lethal weapon than you would a staff. So, why not just have a staff? Yeah, it's a good point. Thank you. You're welcome. Back to what you were saying before about she's very good at punching and she's very powerful. You see a taxi cab crumple around her when it hits her. So it isn't that, like, she's not super strong or that, like, her punches don't have a huge effect on this dude. Yeah, that's why I'm. there must be something almost supernatural about his ability to withstand it. Because even if he's just a totally unhinged mm -hmm. and, you know, doesn't feel pain or whatever... If he's not right, a like someone person. in an 80s movie who was on PCP. Right. He still wouldn't be able to crack wise in the midst of getting socked in the mouth. Unless he's got some kind of crazy 
Like Bugs Bunny powers. Bugs Bunny powers, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or I'm going to say Woody Woodpecker because he's an asshole. He even makes the ha-ha-ha-ha sound at the end, I think. Oh, I thought he was just laughing, but you're right. That was probably a cultural reference he was making. Mm-hmm. I heard it like Woody Woodpecker. Mm. That is a, ugh, is really annoying to me. Well, another on the long list of bird assholes. <laughs> Do you think Ledge is dead? Man, if he's not, he's not in good shape. His cranium is crushed. Yeah, shattered, I think it said. Mm-hmm. His cranium is shattered. Ouch. That's real bad. It is real bad. I feel bad for him. Also, what a dumbass. Let the grown-ups fight. <laughs> he tries to step in and is just like, hey, hey, look, let's all be adult about this. Let's just calm down and be reasonable. That is a fine sentiment to express if you did not just witness the fact that one of the two adults that you were asking to be reasonable has just murdered a bunch of people. And happens to call himself lunatic. Yeah. I think asking for reasonableness in that situation is in itself unreasonable. That is some bad mediation there. And I'm not saying he certainly deserves to have his cranium shattered, but come on, man. And he, I think he even does dress it up in the idea of some kind of a chivalry. But Val is so much better equipped to deal with that situation and was dealing with it before he decided to intervene. And I was also a little bit confused about the way he was intervening. It looked like he was expressing like a, hey, everybody calm down, we don't need to fight. But then Val said something about it was like a deceptive ploy that he was maybe going to tackle lunatic or something. Did you get that impression? I got the impression he maybe wasn't aware of how badass Val was yet and thought he needed to step in to prevent her from getting injured. Right. But it isn't just like that he's trying to calm them down because about to take another angry swipe at lunatic with her sword, Val momentarily hesitates at this sudden distraction. Belatedly, she realizes that Led's abrupt action is not merely an improvised diversion, but an actual intrusion. Yeah, I read that a couple times and I couldn't figure it out because... It's a difficult sentence to parse. And she's trying to get in and... Was he trying to take, like, was he going to try to tackle Lunatic? Or was he just saying, calm down? And that was, yeah, I don't really... to what? Like your fight? Like, Maybe. Like, may I have this dance? Or Yeah. I don't know. I mean, either way, he gets a metal Q-tip to the face. And by Q-tip, I mean like the giant Q-tip from American Gladiators, not like a regular-sized Q-tip. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't want to get one of those to the face either. You can mm-hmm. put your eye out, but probably wouldn't crack your cranium. Those are pretty fun. Did you ever fight with the, the foam ones that are all no. like duct-taped up? No, I would like to. Yeah, it's that's a good time. We should do that sometime. Yeah, I'm sure there's a place that supports that activity. Yeah, probably like maybe over a ball pit. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, like a little, like a walkway thing, a skinny oh, thing. Oh, yeah, we could play Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> by this and by that. My head hummeth like a hive of bees on a hot June day. Yeah. <laughs> we used to have this tape of the BBC radio version of Robin Hood and, uh, Go and cut a cudgel to test thy manhood. Rugged and tough. Rugged and tough. Straight without flaw and six feet in length. These were all quotes from that. (laughs) Along came a dandy. (laughs) That was a great radio broadcast. Thank you. This comic book has a very striking cover. Indeed. What did you think of it? I quite liked it. 
It's weird. Yeah, it's so it's Bruce Banner in his radiation suit doing some kind of a surgery with some weird electrical equipment on Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat. And the image of the Hulk is looming over him. And it's supposed to be like showing the specter of the idea of the transformation process, I think. But it's like an amorphous blob of the Hulk that ends up being his head at the top. There's three sets of Hulk faces that grow into that. Mm -hmm. And that part's weird looking. Mostly what I found distracting about it is that when I first saw it, I thought that was Rom the Space Knight because his radiation suit looks like Rom. And it wasn't until I noticed that he had fingers instead of just space mittens Mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, okay, that's not Rom the Space Knight. Disappointing, obviously. Also, it looks like he's just squeezing atomic ketchup on Patsy's breasts. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's some kind of a, yeah, crazed sex chef. And that was my impression of what was happening. (laughs) Are there any other kinds of sex chefs? Corey, there are all kinds of sex chefs. Stop being reductive about sex chefs. Nope. Oh, Corey. Oh, crazy. We're going to get a lot of angry emails from sex chefs because of your close-mindedness. Like, when I squeeze ketchup on Hellcat's boobs. It's very meticulous. I make concentric circles. <laughs> um, that did not occur to me. But you can see it, yes? I can see it now. It does look like his little electrical thingies are hard. Um, tiny squeeze bottles that you use to make fancy mm-hmm. sex food with. <laughs> yes. Like I said, it's a weird cover. What did you think of the behind the Iron Curtain aspects of this story? Um, you know, not bad, considering where we are in, in history and Yeah, for, for 1978, I gotta say, overall, much more of a, well, people are people, including the Soviet government. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not portrayed as being evil, which is kind of a surprise. Like, mm-hmm. they see that people are hurting from radiation poisoning, and they genuinely want to help them. Mm-hmm. One thing that I learned from this that I hadn't known was that Soviet Russia during the Cold War was bereft of bureaucracy. <laughs> really streamlined process for getting things done. That had certainly not been my impression. I think they were <laughs> saying, like, that was the exception that proves the rule more I, so. I think it was saying that to people who are used to America where there's all this crazy bureaucracy surrounding getting anything done they were so unused to how streamlined things were in Russia because okay when it must a totalitarian government can act with an alacrity astonishing to those accustomed to unending bureaucratic labyrinths Ooh. when I read that I was reading it as to Americans they're amazed that this can happen so quickly Because we have all these bureaucratic labyrinths. Maybe it is saying that generally in Russia there are bureaucratic labyrinths that you have to go through. But when the shit hits the fan, because they're a totalitarian government, they can just push shit through and get shit done. That was my reading of it. Okay, I was reading it that, like, oh, in America, because of all of our laws and justice and freedom, everything takes way too long. Whereas in Russia, they're just like, nope, this has to be done, so it's ruthless but efficient. And efficiency and lack of bureaucracy are not necessarily the things that I would associate with depictions of the Soviet government. So that was surprising to me. 
Yeah, definitely not in government in general, I would I would say. So, you remember last issue when the Hulk was punched through the St. Basil's Cathedral opposite the Kremlin? Yeah. And uh, then yelled at everybody for speaking Russian in Russia mm-hmm. and jumped home? Mm-hmm. Bruce Banner is apparently fluent in Russian. Why doesn't the Hulk speak Russian? I guess same reason Hulk can't do all the science things that Bruce Banner can do when he's in Hulk form. Okay, but I mean, like, what percentage of the knowledge does permeate? He can speak and understand English. Why can't he speak and understand Russian if those are both things that that Bruce Banner can do? That is a good question, and... I think it would be really cool to see more things like that. If the Hulk maybe just can't reason things through or express himself eloquently, but, like... Still does his bad syntax Russian. Where I guess in Russian the word order isn't as much, so he'd maybe just get the case endings wrong when he was saying shit, but he would still just be like, I don't know, saying shit in Russian. Like, you know, Gudjeochki! What's that mean? Where are my eyeglasses? <laughs> I don't think Hulk would say that. No, but it's one of the few phrases I can remember. Russian has... Oh. That would be where are my glasses. But the Hulk wouldn't say that because he's bad with pronouns. So it would be, uh... Where... Good job, Ochki! Where are eyeglasses? Where, indeed, are the are eyeglasses? Yeah, so I'm not saying he would get all of that stuff right. That's but probably I, I'm saying, why. like, he could speak, like, caveman Russian. You know? Uh, and I, I think that would be an interesting twist to have him pepper in some of Banner's knowledge when he's talking. And, like, maybe the same thing with some of the science shit. Like, he drops, like, a phrase about, like, the way that atoms work or something like that, because that is so foundational to the knowledge that Bruce Banner has about gamma radiation and whatnot, that it does kind of permeate. I think at this point, though, in in this universe, Smart Hulk is a ways away, right? Yeah, well, I'm not saying I want Smart Hulk. I'm saying... I medium. Want, not even medium. I just want there to be, like, some connection between Banner and Hulk. Like, I don't, I don't think you can One have that. is a reflection of the other. Well, I thought... I think that, like... All you get is purple pants, man. But he can speak English. Like, it's not like he has unintelligible grunts. So there is something there. Some of Banner's knowledge of the things that surround him, of his knowledge of the world, has permeated into this, like, raging uncontrollable id. So, Do you like, think uh, Bruce Banner likes beans? Yeah, I think he probably does. I don't know. What if he doesn't? What if the Hulk is just such a different facet of his mind? I get what you're saying. I think maybe deep down, Bruce Banner is trying to suppress how much he likes beans. Because he doesn't want to turn into the Hulk. No, just because it's embarrassing to him. Oh. Because he doesn't want to fart constantly when he's in the lab. Or especially when he's trapped in a radiation suit. (laughs) Oh, man. That's the problem, though, with that is, like, you just got to eat a lot of them so you get used to them. Wait, and then you won't fart? Not as much. This seems like a trap, Corey. Hey, and... Oh, you don't want to fart so much? Eat more beans. That's... Ah, you, you won't fool me with that again, Corey. You haven't even fool tried. Fool me once. Fuck you. Good. Fool me twice. Fuck you. What happened to that scientific mindset? All right, I'll get the motorcycle helmets out. And a can of beans. There's some funny shit that happens 
where nobody in Russia recognizes not only who Hellcat and Nighthawk are, but that they are superheroes. And I thought that was pretty fun. Like, just like, oh, you know, Americans, maybe they all dress crazy. Who can say? I feel like they would have some kind of like a Rolodex of superheroes, especially they know the guy's hanging out with Namor. So like, I kind of like the idea that Nighthawk is that far down the list as a like super D-list celebrity superhero that nobody in Russia has any idea who he is. But I would feel like they would have maybe some kind of flashcards going. Yeah, but the guys having that conversation are pretty low-level dudes. Oh, okay. Right? So they're just like... So they're not off the hook. The Russian government now is in the not-at-all-exclusive club of knowing Nighthawk's secret identity. I think anybody knows that. I think anybody who bothered could know it, but it seems like it might just be like, who gives a fuck who this guy is? Yeah, no, the like Russian limo driver and his buddies, like they're just like crazy Americans <laughs> and they're like, maybe they're fancy bureaucrats. Who yeah, are who fucking knows? Americans always dressing up like cats and birds. Yeah. Typical. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. That was. I, I really did like that. I like both of those ideas. I like the idea that they're just so unimportant and they're a bunch of superheroes and like, who gives a fuck who these guys are? Or the idea that it's like, yeah, Americans. Whatever, man. Also, like, Cold War from Russian perspective, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all Americans run around wearing spandex and capes We're because ridiculous. they're so frivolous. Well, and I would suspect that this will come up later in the comic book, but there is certain precedent that these Russians have for Americans dressing ridiculously in the American ambassador to Russia, who is just dandied up all to hell. He's just got a lot going on. How would you describe his face? Because he looks like somebody. He looks like kind of a painting of young Edgar Allan Poe, maybe? Oh, I was going to say a young Hal Holbrook. Oh. As Mark Twain? (laughs) As Mark Twain. With a little dash of, like, Kurt Vonnegut. I can see that. But dressed like a total fucking southern dandy. Like, when I see that guy, I picture him talking like Matlock. Or, like, mm, mid 2000s Andre 3000. <laughs> oh, I can see. Well, I don't think he talks like him, but he's dressed no, a little dressed, bit like, dressed him. like okay. him. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that would be something if in 1978 <laughs> he talked like mid 2000s Andre 3000. Uh, wow. There's a lot of time travel in that sentence. Yeah. It's confusing. <laughs> but if that is their example of what Americans look and dress like, then it's not that far removed from the weird fucking bird and cat suits. No, because those polyester pants were probably pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Now, Bruce Banner does a great fucking job. Rescues everybody. Mm-hmm. Cures all of their radiation poisoning. Namor is like, oh, wow, man, that's fucking rad. I'm still pissed off, like, as a base level, but gotta say, you did an awesome job. I owe you a debt of honor. Seems like he might want to bring up the fact that all of Atlantis is still gonna die? Like, what happened that there was no cure and no even mention of all of the radiation poisoning that was still poisoning, and I think is still poisoning Atlantis. Yes, there's not an ongoing source of radiation, but those waters are still radioactive. Shit can't grow there. They're gonna die. Nobody seems to care. Yeah, nobody even mentions it, which is pretty off-putting. My thinking was later, Namor was like, Hey, Bruce, we need to mass-produce your molecular gastronomizer. 
No, that's not what it was. It might be. Oh, I mean, he was doing some uh, some Spear molecular gastronomy. <laughs> your molecular making some uh, spheres and foams. Your uh, um, re- rejuvenator. Mm-hmm. And uh, just your bring it odd down. psychosexual culinary experimentations. <laughs> Let's go squeeze some ketchup all over all of Atlantis's breasts. All of it. <laughs> You're right. That's probably what happened. I liked the nods to Cold War diplomacy. I thought that was actually pretty well handled. The, uh, well, you guys get to go home, and we're going to pretend that we don't know that Russia was doing nuclear experiments on this coast that were unauthorized, so everybody's just going to look the other way, but we're all pissed off at each other. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty fun mm-hmm. and uh, well handled. I did have to look up what the SALT talks were. I'm glad they, you did. They said that I the didn't uh, have time to do that. As they are headed home, the ambassador tells them, "You three have got enough to worry about as it is. You may not know this, but your violation of Soviet waters has shattered our plans for new salt talks. That is the strategic arms limitation talks, the mm-hmm. nuclear de-escalation talks. So potentially there were some pretty catastrophic effects from their little adventure. Although." I don't think it is their fault. Like, I don't think that they necessarily made mistakes here. They were going all along with Namor on a mission of mercy. And I don't think the Soviets necessarily made mistakes because it was brought up that these nuclear experiments that were happening were happening without the knowledge of the government and that uh, codename Fuckface had gone totally rogue. So, a real snafu, but no real blame to be assigned for much of it. Where did that guy far chair off to? That's what we need to find out. My guess, probably the Savage Lands. Mm. Probably going to do some weird fucking... Swamp stuff. Swamp stuff. Make some nuclear dinos. You know. Whenever anybody goes away in the Marvel Universe, I'm assuming they're going to the Savage Land. Especially if they're a villain. Because, I mean, wouldn't you? Man, I hate that guy. Yeah, no, fuck that guy. Seems like maybe the Red Guardian should have just gone to the Savage Land. Like, not with Fartface, but like... I don't know, maybe she could just hang out with some pterodactyls or some shit. Or just go there to kick his butt. Yeah, one of those. Either way, it's a win-win. You make a pterodactyl friend or a pterodon. Take your pick. I I don't really like how... It's just scary to me to think of that because of the whole bird Because they're a giant bird. Yeah. Yeah, I think they might have. They're, they're thinking they had feathers and stuff, too. Still, I don't know, man. I'm thinking back. Do you ever watch the cartoon Dinosaurs? Uh, doesn't ring a bell. Is that about baby dinosaurs? No, no. That's dino babies or something. Dinosaurs was about dinosaurs from outer space who came here in flying saucers. But the uh, pterodactyl one was pretty chill. Hmm. Memory serves. Oh, that's good. So. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. I mean, the Allosaurus was pretty chill, too, in, in real life. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of those fuckers would just bite you in head. No, he would bite you in head. They were vegetarian. Hulk warned you. They... Were vegetarian. Allosauruses were not vegetarians. Wait, weren't they the ones that had the spikes at the end of their tail? No, that's an ankylosaur, Cory. What's it? Allosaurus is like a slightly smaller T-Rex that was maybe a little smarter. Oh, yeah, they would bite you in yeah, head. Yeah, they would bite you in head. Hulk, try warn. Allosaur, bite Cory in head. Thanks, Hulk. No problem. Me go eat bean now. Okay, enjoy. That. Goodbye! <laughs> There were a couple of pretty minor scenes in here that I found pretty funny. One was when Valkyrie is looking for Lunatic. 
because he is avoiding her and hiding. She grabs a guy from behind who is, I guess, just wearing a green tracksuit, so she thinks it's him. Doesn't notice that the guy doesn't seem to have purple hair, which I think is a thing that Lunatic has. But he turns around and is like, hey, lady, I gave it the office. I was like, that was pretty fun. And it also reminded me of, did we watch Tougher Than Leather together? We must have watched that together at some point. I would think so. But it's an action movie that stars Run DMC, which is amazing. It's also not very good, but it is amazing. But there is a scene where there are some stolen diamonds involved and Run DMC are hiding out in the Hasidic Jewish section of Brooklyn and they are running away from the bad guys. And so the bad guys keep grabbing people by the shoulder and they'll turn around and it's an older Hasidic Jew and they'll just be like, what? Because um, <laughs> they're dressed like Run DMC because they have the black hats and the and the black jackets. And then uh, finally they grab one guy and he turns around and it's Jam Master J and he punches him in the face and it's oh, terrific. JMJ. He punches him in the face so hard it shatters the camera lens. That is action. Mm-hmm. But it reminded me of that scene and I thought that was fun. There was also a thing that was less fun where Lunatic beat up or possibly murdered a blind man and stole his cane and sunglasses, and that was how he managed to sneak up behind Valkyrie. What was weird about that was that when we see the guy crumpled in the alley, he has a sign that he was wearing around that says, I'm blind. If the whole point of Lunatic mugging that guy and putting on his outfit to convince Valkyrie he was a blind man. Why on earth would you not take the sign that says, I am blind? Uh, he's in a hurry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he also sneaks up behind Val, who doesn't really see him anyway wearing the disguise. So it's Yeah, well, a... why didn't he just take the cane then? And just because you see he taps the cane. Why just, he just take run the cane. Why not? Maybe he and... just liked the sunglasses. Yeah, maybe. I don't, yeah, know. I don't know. Crazy jerk. Yeah. A real piece of shit. There was another panel that did kind of crack me up. It's where the heroes are recovering from their radiation poisoning. Patsy is on a gurney. Namor and Nighthawk are off to either side. She is framed in the middle of it. And I think that she has her knee up under a sheet. But it just really looks like she <laughs> has a big old boner. Oh, <laughs> It's an, it, it, she is really, I mean, quite literally a, making a tent of her... Uh, it's a knee. It's a knee. <laughs> I think you're right, but it was jarring when I first looked at it. and was like, whoa, she is really, really happy to be there. I did not look at it that way, but now I can see what you mean. It's, now it's difficult to look at it any other way. There was, at the job that I am no longer working at, right across the street, there was an ice cream parlor <laughs> named 50 Licks. And they decided to go with a old-timey, very loopy, uh, cursive font. The problem with that is that the capital L with the big loop at the base looks like a lowercase d. So every time I looked at that sign that said 50 licks, I would think to myself, 50, huh? That's a lot of dicks. Yeah. You ready to get into the minutia? That is a lot of... A lot of those. Yeah, let's get into the minutia. Okay, Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. 
-hmm. Sartorially speaking, we've touched on it a little bit, but which elements of fashion did you feel were worthy of note? We got into it previously, I think, but I feel like in this issue, um, Lunatic's fresh tracksuit with good the, track like, green and gold. It's not green and gold, it's green and purple. Green and purple. Oh, the guy in Central Park maybe had, in the Times Square had green and gold? The guy who Val grabbed? Yeah. I think you might just be thinking of Run DMC. Maybe Because they were yellow and gold when it's time to get ill. Yeah. Not yellow and gold. Green. Yellow and green when it's time to get ill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the one that they wear when it's time to chill? Black and white, white with black stripes. That's the kind they like to wear when they're rocking the mic. Mm -hmm. I I know, I'm going. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Um, cool tracksuit. It is a cool tracksuit. And Hal Holbrook's crazy Andre 3000 psychedelic dandy outfit. Yeah, it's it is one of a couple of choices that I think adds to character that is made through the colors in this. And once again, the colorist for this issue is David Anthony Kraft, the writer. But he really went all out with the ambassador. He is wearing a wide lapeled three-piece suit that is bright purple with a yellow vest, a pink striped shirt, and a purple wide tie that has black diagonal stripes. He is going all out there. It's very jarring. Hmm. But Hmm. I kind of like it. I kind of like it too. The other bold fashion choice that is made in this is Bruce Banner in his Russian-issued radiation scrubs when he's doing his radical culinary surgery. He looks like he is cosplaying as one of the Wonder Power twins. Mm. It is a lavender jumpsuit with purple gloves, and he really does look like Zan. From the Wonder Power Twins. With the bangs and everything. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to our next category. Behold or Be Gone. Ooh, what is it this time? Corey. Yes. Surgical Cosplay. Behold or Be Gone. How do you feel about surgeons dressing as their favorite characters while they perform operations? Oh, no. Um... I guess if I'm asleep, like under anesthetic, I don't know what they look like when Mm -hmm. they're operating on me, so that's fine. There are some surgeries that you do need to be awake for, including some brain surgeries. Do you want them to be feeling their most confident? Maybe they gain some. That's a very much of of a leading question. Sense of self from wearing these outfits, but. Maybe it's just a sign that they're having fun when they should be concentrating on cutting your brain up. Yeah, no, I'm going to go with just, uh, be gone. I want regular scrubs. Yeah? Yeah. You're a traditionalist. Well, I don't know about that, but what if it's a complicated costume? And I heard that some surgeries result in uh, artifacts being left inside the body. Oh, you don't want to have like a replica power ring just, uh, lodged in your... Yeah, like a steampunk goggles, like in my belly or whatever. Mm, that's a, that's a good point. I think there might be something to be said for it giving them more confidence if they feel that that is their, their true self, if that is how they feel best about themselves. But, yeah, you do raise a good point from the practical aspect of you don't want little bits falling off in you. Yeah, what if the surgeon's favorite guy is, like, Condor Man? Yeah, get a feather. Get feathers everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
when I had my tonsils out, there was this weird, I was a little kid, and this is a memory that I thought I had made up for a very long time. <laughs> but um, there was this gas mask that they put on you where they would give you a gas to make you pass out. But part of the mask had goggles on it, and there was a 3D image of Cookie Monster that you were looking at. <laughs> and I thought I had made that You're part up. Tripping balls. It's like, ah, here's your first experiments with psychedelia. Yeah. So uh, we want to make sure you have a good trip. Mm-hmm. Here, look at a picture, a 3D picture of Cookie Monster. And I remember being so disoriented by that. And it's such a berserk choice for so many reasons. First of all, just like the idea of like it being a gateway to like psychedelia and just like, hey, you're going to feel loopy. Have some fun with it. But also, yeah, Cookie Monster is a friendly dude. But you know what he is? A monster. A monster. Mm. And that's not necessarily what I want to be looking at right before I go into surgery for the first time. So I think I'm going to go with you. Be gone. Oh. Because I don't want other people to have to, like, like what if that uh, surgeon is just really into Cookie Monster? <laughs> And then he's dressed like Cookie Monster after the little kid looks at the 3D image of Cookie Monster. That's just too much Cookie Monster. And that's a real problem. It's a real bummer. So, surgical cosplay, be gone! Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like, much like you would like a pie, were it not made of steel? At the risk of a little bit of foreshadowing for the advert that's in this comic. Okay. I did like the scene where, for some reason, the taxi cab that uh, hits Valkyrie was driven by, a, I don't know, like... An a, old prospector? Yeah, an old prospector <laughs> who utters the phrase on page 17, Ding blasted tarnation! And I've never heard ding blasted before. No, there's a lot that he says that is pretty great. His whole speech, that was my choice as well. What the ding-blasted tarnation's going on here? You scared me halfway to heaven, honey, jumping out in front of me like you did. Look what you did to my car. Are you one of them cockamamie superheroes? Let me tell you, just because you got a cape and a party suit don't mean you own Lexington Avenue. Mm. I don't think there's another way to read those lines. I think it has to be read like old prospector talk. I don't know how long that person's been living in New York, why they still have their old-timey prospector 49er accent but uh it is man blasted crazy it was that was ding blasted delightful by tarnation (laughs) behold so yeah that there was that and uh i think my backup choice was shut up shut up shut up i liked that also i also heard val utter what i think is a uh asgardian curse that i had never heard before which is she says frigga <laughs> that was pretty good i i like that too makes sense you say the name of a god it's an oath mm-hmm. that's nice. a god frigga yeah uh... norse one yeah i mean if you just know odin then i mean he's the all father it's mm-hmm. like all spice that's the only one you need uh we've gotten into that before yeah yeah that's um... bullshit <laughs> it, all spice is a bullshit spice fucking get over yourself you're a spice barely if i got cinnamon and nutmeg you can just go fucking pound sand all spice mm. don't need ya. maybe put a little cloves in there oh cinnamon nutmeg cloves what are you doing here all spice go wait in the car wait for the party yeah <laughs> he looked so proud of himself you guys when he told all spice to go wait in the car <laughs> you should have seen that smug almost <laughs> 
started off by getting a big head about itself. Maybe they call it that because it does taste like cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg all mixed together. Because mm. it kind of does. All in one berry. Mm. All right, Allspice. Not even saying its name pisses me off. Come up with a better name. I don't know, what would you call it? Uh, pie berries. I'd call it, uh, like, Blargon. That sounds like, uh, something that's gonna come rain destruction on you. Yeah. I mean, it's still a little bit bombastic, but at least it's its own thing. It's not like you just call it best spice. Maybe, like, a little less, like, uh, some spice. A spice. They were trying yeah, to, they were trying to figure out a way to say it's a spice that tastes like other spices that you sometimes also mix with those other spices. Yeah, well, they did a bad job. Well, it's a tough job to do. Who do you think? Do you think that was McCormick's job? Blargon is coming not up. Gonna... I think Blargon be fucking flying off the shelf. <laughs> I think it is a McCormick allspice. They probably hired some agency. Yeah, yeah. McCormick is too busy to do all of that shit himself. What was your favorite sound effect in this issue? Man, there were a lot. I had the usual kind of action sounds, mm-hmm. but I actually wound up taking one that was really more dialogue, but the last part of it was drawn in the same way they draw sound effects. So maybe it was a sound effect? Yeah, and that was Val shouting, shut up, shut up, shut up! That's a bit of a stretch. Okay. If but you... I'll allow it. Oh, good. But you'd better be going somewhere with this, Whitney. Oh, I'm gone. Okay. I went. Fair enough. I had a few that, as much as I disliked Lunatic, his staff made some uh, pretty cool noises when it impacted things. Those are my other two I had were staff noises. I had Fweg. Yep. Fweg? Pretty good. I had a Fweg as well. And I had Clash was the other one. Very evocative. I had Crack with two Ks. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think of them, I'm probably going to go with Clash. Because it's both evocative and kind of inexplicable. But you can kind of see it, you know? Clash. What was your favorite panel? Boy, the art in here was good. Yeah. It's once again Carmen Infantino with Klaus Jansen doing the inks, and they make a really good team. Yeah, it was, and it was consistent too, which was nice. Uh, jacked up faces is kind of my pet peeve with these sometimes. When people just look kind of wrong. Mm-hmm. And they look right the rest of the time. Yeah. And then it's jarring. I had a toss-up between a panel that I called uh, Dr. Hulk on page 22. That sounds adorable. Oh, yeah, I like that, too. It was um, just the image of the Hulk is looming behind Banner in his Rom the Space Knight cosplay. Yeah, and it was drawn the way that you wanted the cover to be drawn, Mm -hmm. where it's basically conveying the exact same idea as the cover, but there's no weird uh, nipple catch-up. Right. Well, And there's just no Hulk faces between the banner and the hulk yeah i can see where it might have been confusing to do that on the cover but i think you could have a ghostly image and and it would have gotten the same point across but it is very nicely done yep and for me it was a toss-up between that and the bottom of the following pages panel which is hellcat waking up i had that one it's a very klaus jansen-y panel just with the shading on her face and uh She's got all the diodes attached to various parts of her head. But uh, it's her waking up and saying cheese and crackers, which is what I called that panel. And I had that as one of my favorites as well. My other choice was the shut up panel. But I think I'm going to go with this one. I like the shut up panel. It's a very dynamic action scene where Val has had enough and is 
punching lunatic in the face. But I do have to say my enjoyment of it is marred by the fact that as he is getting his ass absolutely handed to him, there is a word bubble and it just says, sock it to me, sweetie. And I feel like that's unnecessary. And it, I was like, ah, this was like the retribution. This was Val's moment. And also, there's no way physically that he could have been saying that as or immediately after he was struck. Yeah. So I was thinking like, oh, he said it because he knew he was about to get clocked. But still, it doesn't fit with the panel because his body is arced and flying backwards through the air. Yeah, and it also seems like just the way that the word bubbles are positioned, that the way that time happens is Val says that, she punches him, and then he says that. And the only yeah. explanation is that Woody Woodpecker bullshit. He's the yeah. fucking part cartoon bird. Fuck that guy. Yep. Val should have not listened to her, I gotta be a good person side, and just kept punching. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to besmirch all cartoon birds because Roadrunner seems pretty chill. Mm. You're not a Roadrunner fan? He's likable. You think he has a sinister hidden agenda? Well, I just, I mean, it's natural that you want to go with the, I don't know necessarily, like he's a weird one, right? Because like people want to go for the underdog, but he's kind right, of like the hero. The, the victim. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's, it's nature has its way of doing things. It doesn't mean that all coyotes that want to eat birds are bad, it's the cycle stupid of life. creatures. Yeah. Well, he's not cycle. stupid. He's a certified genius, Wiley Coyote. He falls for some pretty silly tricks. What do you mean he's a certified genius? I think he holds up a side that says Wiley Coyote certified genius. Oh. And I mean, he makes a very complicated scheme. It's just bravado. I think he might really be a genius. Some of those plans are very intricate. Now, he could be the cartoon universe's equivalent of ben carson the world's stupidest genius <laughs> like that guy's a real good brain surgeon but cory every defender's comic book has a best defender and a worst defender in this comic book who was your best defender and who was your worst offender um best was pretty easy for me because banner basically saves the day Bruce Banner does a great job. Nobody will shut up about what an amazing, brilliant dude he is. And he uh, he works himself literally to exhaustion to save his friends. Yeah, it's the right choice. Also fluent in Russian. Yeah, it's a hard know. language. Super hard. Yeah, nice work. Worst, though. That was a lot more challenging. And I think I took the uh, the lazy person's way out. And, um, you know, Kyle didn't really do much. Yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of an asshole. Yeah, I think that's fair. It was a tough one for me, too, because really the only two characters who did anything were Bruce Banner and Valkyrie, and I think they both did a pretty good job. I was tempted to maybe go with Ledge, because I think we have established that any hero fighting alongside the Defenders is a Defender. Ledge, whether he is a hero, is a bit circumspect, but he is a attempting to do something that in his mind is heroic by intervening in the fight, and he does a very bad job. But I think that is too much of a stretch. So I'm gonna go with Val. She does a pretty good job. I like how she handles herself for the most part. But at the very end, she is about to punch Lunatic out. And then she's like, no, I can't. If I punch him in the face and knock him out, I'm as bad as he is. I read that, like, she was gonna, she was so mad. She's gonna she was murder gonna him with her fist. Punch him to death. I mean, she could just punch him out. That's something that happens in comic books a lot. 
I feel like she could have just done that. But she was like, no, if I give in to my anger, then I'm as bad as he is. And no, you're not. He's a murderer. You aren't a murderer. You know, that's fair. I, I would argue that that's fair because she's punched out enough people that she knows how to knock somebody yeah. out pretty confidently. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it really just did come down to her and the Hulk were the only people who did anything. And I wasn't sure how to choose between the victims of radiation poisoning. But I didn't <laughs> like... choice is pretty I, easy. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> but I think that part of the reason why Valkyrie deciding that if she gave in to her anger and knocked him out than she was as bad as he was for murdering people. I think just that idea of that false equivalency pissed me off. It's something that we've come up against in comic books a lot before when, like, issues of race come up where it's like, oh, racism's terrible, but you know it's just as bad, if not worse, is people being angry at racism. So her saying that her punching him out or being angry at him is as bad as him murdering drug dealers... I just really didn't like that statement enough that it does push her over the edge and make her the worst defender. In addition to a best and worst, every issue of a Defenders comic also has a character who acts in a way that is contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. To paraphrase the fat boys from Crush Groove, they've just got to be a sucker. Who was your sucker in this issue? This one was a bit of a stretch for me also because I feel like we haven't had a lot of uh, opportunity to see Bruce Banner do his thing. We certainly haven't. I think the last time he showed up was in The Defenders like 23 or something like that when he had to dismantle the gamma bomb that the Wrecking Crew had. Yeah, and so because of that and because he's almost always the Hulk, the fact that he was in that incredibly stressful situation speaking a language that's not his native tongue was able to pull all this complicated, stressful shit off without hulking out. Hmm. I guess that makes him my suck of this issue. Uh, I think that's a decent choice. Yeah, I was certainly confused as to why he was able to withstand that stress and not turn into the Hulk. Given that he has been the Hulk for, like, more than 30 issues now in these pages, the amount of times that he is Bruce Banner is so infrequent that it seems like he must just turn into the Hulk at the drop of a fucking hat. So that was a little confusing for me. I, I think that's a pretty decent choice. I was tempted to go with the Red Guardian for just going with the Soviet government, who she has previously had such antipathy towards, despite considering herself a patriot and a great lover of her country, we do see that she made a point to always operate outside of the law and didn't trust or like and found that her government was corrupt in a number of ways. So her deciding to go along with them once she has near-infinite power seemed a little bit incongruous to me. But that all pretty much happened off-panel. I don't think she appeared in a single panel in this comic book. So I didn't go with her. I instead went with Nighthawk. He was uncharacteristically quiet and grateful in this issue. And when the Soviets didn't recognize him, he didn't go out of his way to point out who he was and give away his secret identity that way. So I found that very uncharacteristic of Nighthawk, and uh, therefore I had him as my sucker. Good choice. Thank you. We both know that the Hulk rules, but in this issue, Corey, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, so I was listening to the radio the other day, I don't remember what it was, but there was some actor who said that the best bit of advice he ever got was that you have to go slow to go fast. By which he meant 
you know, if you hurry, you fuck shit up. Oh, gotcha. Also, much like Montel Williams had a cool head for hot talk, Mm. the Hulk's rules are when you're faced with a very stressful situation, you need to step back, take a deep breath, and calmly approach the situation, doing what's most important first, and just get the shit done. That's pretty good. The Hulk's rules are to go fast, you gotta go slow. That is not my favorite acting advice that I have heard on the radio this week. No? Mine was from Jeff Goldblum. I heard an interview with Jeff Goldblum, and he was in the movie Death Wish. It was his first film role. He played one of the thugs. Um, <laughs> and That's funny to me. I did, did... The director, I forget the director's name, but he was like a notorious screamer. He would like yell at his actors. And he said his first day on the set of a movie, he was getting ready for his scene. And as they were about to start shooting, the director yelled at him, Goldblum, start acting now! Oh, no. That's my favorite acting advice I've ever heard. But the Hulk's rule (laughs) is things about yourself that you might find embarrassing can still have their uses. What? See, the Hulk hates Puny Banner and hates that Puny Banner is a part of him. But it's a hidden talent that was very useful to the Hulk. When he reverted to Banner, Banner was super good at uh, curing radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, I'm trying to think. I know there's stuff about myself that I probably would have found embarrassing until we started having this show and I needed to find content, but it's been like 300 hours, so I think it's just all out there now. I think think it's, yeah, uh, ship has sailed. (laughs) Yeah, which, see... That was useful in this situation. Yeah. All that shit. Like really my obsession with third wave ska. Uh, it's given me stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Much like Hulk's hidden talent of being a nuclear physicist. <laughs> He's embarrassed about that. He hates puny banner. But it came in handy. So uh, those hidden aspects of your character, don't be ashamed of them. They can be useful. And that's the Hulk's rules. Corey, I think it's time to write some wongs. All right. In the year of our Lord, 1978, and the month of our Lord, February, what wongs needed writing? Well, it being a chilly time of year on the eastern seaboard. Particularly that year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There was the the blizzards and everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe Strange had a premonition some bad shit was going to go down with the weather. But he and Wong found themselves on the West Coast. Oh. Enjoying uh, some time in sunny California because uh, Wong had some time off and Steve decided to tag along. As we've talked about a lot, Wong, real renaissance man, both arts and sciences, was uh, friends with a computer programmer out of Caltech by the name of Fred Newbin. He and and Fred and Steve had got to drinking one night and got to talking about sport, which Steve was really rather disdainful of, you know, suffer ice hockey, (laughs) because, you know, all that. But it turned out that that Newman, in addition to being a pretty good computer programmer, 
was also uh, jockeying for position to become assistant coach at Caltech of the basketball team. Oh, really? Yeah, hmm. and was uh, quite a fan of the, the sport himself. And so, later, the three of them found their drunken way onto campus, where uh, Steve said, Wong, I think we should have a contest. And the contest then became to see who could do as many uh, blindfolded free throws as possible. Wong knew that Steve, in his cups though he was, was maybe going to cheat a little bit mystically. Yeah, I can see that. And didn't really want this to happen. So Steve went up and he was doing great. And, uh, you know, Wong put a little of his own mojo into the picture. And enough so that Steve did really well. Where uh, he got 80. Oh, man. Blindfolded. That's, that's astounding. Throws. Pretty good for yeah. somebody that has never played the game. No kidding. And so Steve came away from this thinking like, oh, I bamboozled them good. I am the basketball player supreme. Yeah. So Fred Newman comes up, kind of a little bit of nerdy looking fella, puts on his blindfold, and then proceeds to set the Guinness Book for World Records of blindfolded free throws with 88. Wow. Baskets, yeah. That is astounding. So, yeah, that was an amazing, amazing feat by yeah. by Newman uh, beating Doctor Strange without any mystical assistance <laughs> and getting those 88 blindfolded free throws. And what's also interesting is that some of his other accomplishments really stand the test of time. Uh, Golden State Warriors' Steph Curry got 77 three-pointers that in a row, is which a is lot. fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, I can barely, like, I can't even, like, really successfully keep a basketball in my hands for <laughs> i don't know for 77 seconds i don't think so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm super bad at basketball so that's mind-boggling uh fred newman got 209 damn three-pointers in a row granted this is apparently the uh college three-point line it's a little like, bit closer like three two or three four feet or something closer to the basket Still. so say. but the point was Wong did a good job getting people together, enjoying sport. Good for him. And that was maybe one thing that Wong was up to in February of 1978. But towards the end of the month, Wong was a sad, sad Wong. Oh no. He had to uh, attend the funeral of a man that he had befriended. You see, on February 28th, Philip Ahn died of pneumonia. Philip Ahn was an actor. He was probably best known for playing Master Khan in the Kung Fu TV series. But he played a number of roles. He was in 179 different movies or TV shows. Wow. He was a Korean-American actor and often would be playing Chinese or Japanese characters. And the way that he met Wong was because uh, a friend introduced them because on Philip Ahn's resume... He had played 12 different characters named Wong. <laughs> because Hollywood writers are so imaginative. Mm. So Wong was pretty upset when Philip died. He, he went and he attended the funeral and felt that, uh, felt that Philip had not really received the credit that he should have for his acting resume. So after Philip Ahn's death, Wong began a campaign and was ultimately successful in it. And got Philip on a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was the first Korean-American to receive one. That didn't happen until 1984, but Wong was very diligent in his pursuit of his friends receiving the respect that he deserved. Nice. And so that was what Wong was a-doing. Two Wongs righted. Indeed. Cheating foiled. Yes. And tr uh, credit where credit's due, given. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it has been a delight, as always, to talk with you. And we will be back next week with an episode of The New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Issue 2, The Double Deuce. The same as two twos. I got it. Yeah. 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 I wasn't saying that necessarily Patrick Swayze's character is going to be the cooler there. It's not that double deuce. Well, you do have to be nice. Until it's time to not be nice. Mm-hmm. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr and LinkedIn for reals and Instagram, uh, which Lisa runs. And uh, I don't know, probably some other places. Just type in Tighten Up the Defense into your computer or gaming console and uh, see what happens. Make sure you spell it T-I-T-A-N. Otherwise, you'll just get an Archie Bell and a Drell song. Which is also a nice time. So, I guess either way. Hi, I'm Archie Bell and the Drells. Back in Houston, you got to dance. <laughs> um, I love that song. It's a great song. It's the intro to this show. Oh, You didn't know that? That makes perfect sense. You really sense. don't listen to the show, do you? I've Corey? listened to several episodes. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't find us there, then, well, why don't you look inside your heart? Because we'll be there. We've always been there. We always will be there. You can't get rid of us. Squatter's rights. Mm. In your heart. We can't be evicted. No. Not without great cost. Yeah, it wouldn't be worth it. Exactly. Let us live in your heart. Mm-hmm. We like it here. It's the path of least resistance. Yeah. If you'd like to donate to us monetarily, in addition to supplying us with a residence inside of your hearts, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. Uh, if you do, you get access to a bunch of free bonus material, a uh, drug awareness special that Corey and I did, so that you can be more aware of drugs, and a monthly show that Lisa and I do called What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A uh, program that we do about Howard the Duck. If you can't uh, donate financially, there are other ways to support us. Leave us a review on whatever podcatcher you're using. You can tell a friend. Mm-hmm. You can uh, make a protest sign that says, Listen to Tighten Up the Defense. Do it every day. Hell no. I won't not listen to Tighten Up the Defense. It's a wordy sign, though. It's a long It's a very large sign. You'll. Have, it'll be a good workout for you to carry it around. That's a nice time. Win-win. Yeah. Everybody wins when you make a Tighten Up the Defense picket sign. Well... That's about the time that happened. Goodbye. <laughs> and they knew it. The Dingaling Family. By some mysterious quirk of space and time warp, the Dingaling Family is thrust into Thor's Asgardian orbit. The family leaves a trail of evil doing on Earth. Grandma Dingaling leads them in swooping silently up behind the Asgardians. Let's get him all, kin. Capture him more. Our name's not Dingaling! We know not what provoketh thee, strange family, but if thou dost come amongst us with unpleasantness in thy hearts, with unpleasantness thou shalt be met. 
And then some. Bye, Craggy, that pretty yellow-haired feller's the leader. Let's hornswoggle him, and the rest of this will be a piece of cake. Okay, Pa, Ma, Auntie, Sister, Brother, Cousins, B, Ba, and Grandma. All you dinglings, hold him still so I can get a bead on him with my atomic shotgun. Thy familial bonds are indeed strong. Pity tis misspent on evil, but tis not before the fierce power of the mystical mallet Mjolnir. But what's this? The cousin they calleth B and Bai resisteth the hammer. Hee-haw, cousin Bai, I think we got him. Show enough, cousin B, it's our cousin power secret weapon. Nothing can resist it except when our heads wander a bit and we lose the concentration and we goof ourselves up. Aye, then. Tis but child's play to use this ploy and distract the cousins by and by, and by and by twill be their undoing. Er, uh, er, um, um, look at that, cousin by. Er, uh, cousin B, what were we saying? Oh, look at that. Delicious hostess fruit pies, apple, and, and cherry, great, light, tender, crust, real fruit filling. Cousin By, I can't recollect what we were talking about, and that couldn't be half as interesting as these mouth-watering hostess fruit pies. You fools! We almost had that yeller-haired one in our power, dumb cousins. Forsooth, milady, not so dumb. They knoweth of yon delicious snack. Now home to Odin. Be sure to have some hostess fruit pies for that great one to enjoy, too. You getteth a big, big delight, delight in every bite of hostess, hostess fruit pies. Whoa. That was a long one. That's so We did it in mostly one take. Full of malarkey. Man, that's a lot of words. For a lot of hillbillies. Mm-hmm.